Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Justin Meyer with LethbridgeRealEstate.com in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. Last year, he closed 221 transactions with a total sales volume of $58 million. His average sales price was $262,000, of which 53% were buyers and 47% were sellers. He has an eight-member team, one listing specialist, three buyer agents, one buyer manager, one office manager, one admin assistant, and one team leader. Justin Meyer is the team leader of the LethbridgeRealEstate.com team. He's been an agent for six years and sold 465 homes in his short career. In this call, Justin talks about selling eight homes his first year, personally selling 150 homes last year while his team sold the balance, how he generates hundreds of leads with inexpensive Facebook ads, which ad colors and fonts have the highest results? Long versus short copy and ads. Attracting buyers with unique lists of homes. Starting a Facebook group that led to working with six local home builders. Radio ads that are counter to his competition. His annual marketing plan for past clients. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Justin. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much. Hey, Justin, it's great to have you here. Justin, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I entered my career uh, later than I wanted to. I think when I turned 18, I wanted to get into real estate, but I just didn't have any direction or know-how. Um, so I, I actually ended up getting into business-to-business sales, and I did that for many years. I think during the boom, I was still selling. Um, I was doing, you know, I was working at uh, telecom companies and, and doing door-to-door knocking in downtown Calgary, Alberta. Um, so a lot of uh, learning on how to actually be a, a good business person and a salesperson. And then my wife and I at the time were also flipping houses right before the boom hit. So it was kind of a, a marrying of two things that we like to do. I really enjoyed sales and marketing uh, for bigger companies. and then But we really loved the housing market. So it was kind of a venture capital get-together on both of those ones, and uh, that's where I started from there. What made you decide to switch out of the the business-to-business and into the real estate? You had a little bit of a a feel for it from the investing. Was there anything else? No, not really. I just just didn't like... Uh, eight to five and answering to someone and, and it was all fine you know you work for companies and it, it's great to have something stable that you can do but the money kind of stops you could be the top producer at a company and you only can make so much money you know the managers don't like you making more money than them so it was one of those where I just knew that the 
I would say competition maybe in, in my market where I am with the other realtors wasn't the greatest. And I, I knew a lot of people were just kind of doing some old school techniques, but they would use the old adage, oh, well, I've been around a long time, so I'm a good realtor. I mean, I saw a little crack that I could fly into and, and take advantage of that. And so once I saw that merged it with my business experience, I was able to you know, kind of quickly rise up the ranks. What crack did you see in the market? So we have, in our area, we uh, there's only about 300 active uh, realtors in the whole area. And it seems it, it, it is a lot for our population, but there's probably of that, I would say, more than 60, 70% are just part-timers. Um, so, you know, they'll do five, six, seven deals a year, which is, you know, great. That's all they really want to do. And then I just kept seeing the same 30 names over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, and I was even in awe of them, like, wow, that guy's doing 40 deals a year. Wow, that guy's doing 50 deals a year. But I kind of thought to myself, okay, well, that's the goal. If I could do 40 deals a year, I'm, I'll be super happy. And, and I knew that they weren't doing anything special other than, you know, bus ads and bench ads and anything else that was, you know, just the same that everyone's always been doing. So the idea was to just, you know, come in there, go away from what they're doing, get your name out there quickly by doing new techniques. And, uh, and that's kind of the, the theme I saw, and it worked really well, actually. <laughs> Let's get into some of that. So first of all, that first year that you jumped in and, and got into real estate, got your license, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I would say a slow but expected start. Um, I was still doing the corporate gig at the same time. I had a baby on the way, I think, or it had just arrived. I can't remember. Right in the middle. It was kind of both. I think my wife was pregnant. So I couldn't just up and quit a job that was paying me really well. Um but I didn't really care for it. So I only did eight deals in my first year, um, which came with a lot of deal fees at the office I was at too. So, I mean, I didn't exactly make any money, I don't think, in my first year, um, but it gave me a good taste for what I could do to improve. How long did you play real estate part-time while you were in the corporate world at the same time? How long were you doing both jobs at the same time? I think it only was about three or four months and then I was just, there was just no time in the day after that. I mean, you, you'd put in your eight, nine hours at a job where it was demanding and you had a lot of clients. I had a big database. But then, you know, I think what happened was, yeah, it was about three or four months. I, I missed a phone call from a good buyer lead that just wanted to go and write an offer today. And I was in another meeting and he called the agent on the sign. And that, that was kind of the day where I said, nope, that's enough of this. I can't miss those calls where there's an opportunity to make a month's salary in, you know, a lucky phone call like that. So it, it wasn't long that I dabbled in both, but uh, yeah, it was one, one mistake that I made and it made me just quit the other job and get right into it. I assume that with a baby on the way, you had to be a little scared to make that break with corporate America, the job that was paying well. How did you get over that fear of leaving the security of that job? I started at the time, actually, I just knew, I was watching so many people and I knew that you couldn't really do both. And um, it was just one of those things I just knew if I didn't jump in with both feet, I would just keep swimming along with everyone else. I was doing six or seven deals a year. And I, I, I saw that opportunity where the marketing that I, I had started doing was starting to kind of snowball. And I could really see that, hey, I, I can easily do, if I do 20 deals, I'll be making more than I was making at my other job. And I did eight part-time. So I, I, it was just one of those, I, had no, it was, I, I could have stayed and done both, but I just decided for myself it was time to move. Um, so it was a little risky, I, I would say that, but I just had enough confidence in 
myself that I was able to just jump out of it. Well, the big question is, did it pay off? In the second year, the year that you went full-time, how many closings did you have? I believe it was right at 20. I think I hit a goal. I said 20 to my wife because we were kind of, you know, with our average commissions and everything that happens down here, I thought, well, if I do 20, and I think it was, if it wasn't 19, it was 21. It was right in that exact range. Aha. So you were able to double by going full-time. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been in the business? I started in 2010. So about six years now. Six years in the business. And how many homes did you sell last year? Uh, Last year, I put together a team and we did 221 deals. Do you know what the sales volume was? Yeah, it was just over $58 million. Oh, that is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it uh, it was a good year and it was... Again, when I put the team together, I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, it was another one of those like, all right, let's take a leap because the years before I went 8, 20, 40, and then I did something like 100 on my own and, and I was running just rampant. So every year I've been doubling, which is you know awesome. It's a crazy trend to do. And I knew that maybe putting a team together, I might take a personal financial hit this year, uh, paying out that many people and doing that kind of stuff. So it was one of those ones where the team is very custom how we're doing it. I I don't think a lot of people are doing it the exact same way. So it was another one of those like, well, let's try another leap out of just doing the same old thing that every other agent's doing and let's try something new. So it it definitely paid off, I guess, in the first year and, and already into this year, what we've on pace for right now. You've made a very interesting point there. You went from 8 to 20 to 40 to 100. That's some great leaps, great volume. It sounds like you were doing the majority of that on your own. When you closed the 100, for instance, or the 40, did you have an assistant helping you with the paperwork? Yeah, so at 20 in the second year, I didn't. I just I just ran around and learned everything on my own. <laughs> um, when I hit, when I was up to that 40 range, I just had a, a, a guy sitting in my office with me, and we just, he sat here and did, you know, online ads and did my paperwork, and I ran and ran and ran. And then uh, same when I got to 100, I, uh, I went through a few assistants, and I ended up getting a really, really good one. And him and I just sat here, and I would literally see him for five minutes a day. I'd run in, throw papers on his desk, and say, see you later. And he was really autonomous. He would just know he's going to do some work. Um, and the funny thing is, that actually, I ended up paying for his real estate license course, and now he's one of my top producing buyer's agents. So, uh, you know, when you get lucky to find someone, uh, he was one of them. But, yeah, it was just him and I just going crazy in the office, essentially. I've got to ask a question there. You're doing 100 closings with you and one assistant. It had to be extremely profitable. Why start a team? (laughs) I know, I know. My wife asked me that too. Okay, so money is really cool and it's fun and everything like that. But uh, now, since 2010, I have three children total. Um, I have a lovely wife at home, and I was just burnt out. When people talk about working 12, 13-hour days, they're sometimes joking. I was literally out the door 7.30 in the morning, which is early for me, and getting kids ready, and I wouldn't get home till 10, 11 at night. So... Yes, it was great. I, you know, we were able to afford a good lifestyle. We were able to buy some nice things we wanted, um, get some investment properties, all that kind of stuff. But I literally just didn't see my family for a year. So it was, it is very profitable, but I just couldn't keep up with uh, without maybe getting a divorce or <laughs> anything of that. 
We're not going to jump into all the specifics of the team yet, but just this question here. How long have you had the team in place? We started it uh, essentially January 1 of 2015, uh, and we brought on more people February 1 of 2015. So January 1, we did it with some, um, I think we had a string team of four, uh, and it just was too busy. So within a month after that, we, we jumped it up to that bigger number. You basically have had a team for just a little over a year, not quite 18 months. And here's my question. Are you working fewer hours now? Are you seeing your family? I am, sort of. I mean, I I was gone, let's say, last week before we recorded this, and now I've come back and I've been working those 12-hour days, but that's just me doing catch-up. But it is a lot. I, I've noticed where I'll, my wife's like, oh, you know, your oldest son's got uh, soccer, and I'm like, oh, I'll be there, you know, and it, it's at 5.30 where back when I was doing it myself, there's no chance because I'd be showing buyers, you know, from they'd get off work at 4.30 and we'd be showing from 4.30 to 7, and then I'd get another set of buyers from 7.30 to 9.30, so there was no chance for that. But now, you know, a couple times a week, I can go hang out with my family, maybe do some little bit of golfing. Um, and my hours are more set because I'm leading the team. So I can get here at 830, drop my kid off at school um, and, and be here till about 430 or five and then, you know, put in a good nine hours rather than 13. So I have noticed a, a better lifestyle for myself as well. Are you still in production? Are you still taking listings and working with buyers? Yeah, so that's why our team is a little bit different that way. I uh, There is a person in our community who's a top dog that I was able to kind of overthrow, I guess, last year. And, uh, you know, he runs it where, same thing as you, you'll hear a lot of the interviews where, well, I just, I'm the rainmaker and I make things, you know, I'm, I'm important and, and that's, that's a good way to do it. But I still like real estate in a, in a sense of, I, you know, I feel like I'll lose a bit if I don't get out in the field every once in a while. Um, so I literally deal with uh, probably about 80% of the, the listings myself. Um, and then I still go on buyer appointments. Um, we have, you know, pretty strict buyer contracts we want to get people in. Um, I love seeing the house, the inventory. And then what will happen is if I end up going with a buyer, I'll also bring along one of my buyer's agents, do a warm introduction. Then people don't think, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I, I never actually saw Justin, you know, at least I can get in front of them and then help me for my sphere of influence going forward. So if I lose a buyer's agent, they don't take everyone they worked for for two years with them, you know. Um, so I do like to be in the field on, on everything that I can, as much as I can. Justin, what was your personal production last year? You're bringing in the team in 2015. You said you're still in production. How many transactions did you personally close last year? <laughs> well, it's it's unfair because I take all the listings essentially, right? Um, and I represent a few different buyers or builders in uh, in town as well. So, yeah, I would probably of the 221, I was probably responsible for over 150. You actually were able to move up from 100 to 150 in your personal production by bringing the team in, and I assume, and we'll talk about it, but I assume that you brought in staff to help you to take care of a lot of these little details that go around these transactions to free you up to do 150 closings, and yet you're still able to go see your kids' games. Yeah, I've learned to just be yeah more efficient. I think that's, that's the whole thing is... Um, I am really, I think everyone starts off in real estate thinking, well, I'm the only one that's smart enough to be able to do this or this. And, and I realized 
what was the point of me hiring staff and paying them pretty well if I wasn't able to just walk in and throw them file at them and say, hey, you're good at this too. I, I trust you'll take care of it, right? Um, and, and that was the biggest you know, leap for me being someone that's really obsessive about making sure that, oh, this email has to be replied to correctly and use, you know, neuro-linguistic programming when you reply to emails, you know, just so people reply back to you. And once I stopped doing that, I realized, well, the leads will still reply even if I have an assistant doing it or a buyer's agent, you know, anything like that. So it is more about, hey, a lead came in, pass it off to who I think is better suited to handle it, and then take care of the ones that I think that I actually have to. So yeah, it is. it was just about hiring the right people and then you know, letting go of some of that uh, control that I thought I needed. You're a control freak, an admitted control freak. How did you get yourself to delegate? Uh, I'm I'm struggling with it like now still. So it's not it's not a it's not a perfect art form that I've made up either. I just noticed that if you try it, like you just hand off a file and say, hey, listen, I need this to go into the you know, the database, I need uh, their anniversary letters set up, I need their cards done. And that person, you know, they're a smart human being, you're not hiring people that don't know anything. So if you give them one direction once, and you would hope that they'll be able to do it a second time or a third time. And that was the biggest key for me is show them hopefully one time and see if they succeed. And that's where I was able to kind of filter in and out good assistance as you notice that I didn't have to hold their hands anymore. Well, that, that equals a good assistant for me, right? So that was it. Just It was just, again, taking a plunge, diving in two feet and just trying it. And uh, you'd be surprised that things just tend to work out when you trust other people you've hired. You've had this team, again, just a little over a year. You've just talked about delegating some tasks. Sounds like you trained them the first time through. Have you put together, say, a checklist for them to follow at this point? Yeah, we do a ton. So what we have, we use, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, we use Top Producer as our database management. And so we built um, everything in there. So, I mean, we get a new listing. It's got down to what time we send out this card or this email. It's got automatic emails that go out to the sellers. So it is foolproof if they just log in in the mornings, look at what their tasks are, and do their tasks. So it, it's kind of nice that I'm, I'm all about systems. That's my whole brain is I'll just forget. If someone says, hey, call me at 3, and I don't put it in my phone, or I don't get some way of reminding myself, I usually don't call until 4. You know? So um, same thing with every assistant. is It goes into the database, into the top producer. The plans are set up so that they know, hey, it's Monday morning. That person, they're taking possession today, pick up the sold sign, pick up the lockbox, whatever we have to do, right? So it is all, it's all systematized now. Well, Justin, let's back up and, and give everybody a big picture of where you are. Where is Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada? Yeah, so we're kind of squished in between. If anyone knows where Calgary, Alberta is, we're just about uh, two hours south or 200 kilometers south of there. And we're just uh, north of Montana, uh, right by the Rockies here. So it's, uh, it's a nice little uh, community kind of in the middle of everything. It's got kind of like a desert atmosphere here. Do you know what the, the population is there? Yeah, we're, uh, we're a university town, so we're just shy of 90,000, and it fluctuates a little bit up and down with uh, the university here, but usually hovers around 90,000 right now. Could you please describe your current real estate market? Yeah, so our market right now, it, it's funny because um, 
the rest of Alberta where we live, Calgary, Edmonton, they're the big centers. They're kind of in a lull, and actually most of Alberta is, but um, because there's there's a lot of big oil in uh, you know southern Alberta, and um, and that has taken a little bit of a dip with the prices. So we've noticed around us it's been pretty uh, low. Prices are going down, sales not happening. But us ourselves, we are kind of an agriculture uh, manufacturing community. So when gas goes down, oil goes down, agriculture goes up because, uh, you know, it's cheaper for farmers to run. And then uh, when the dollar is trading differently to the U.S., let's say our dollar is really low right now. Well, when we send it to uh, the U.S. with the manufacturing, our prices are, you know, we're getting a dollar twenty-five for everything we build. So it, it is kind of a neat little pocket here. Um, so I would say our market is currently on fire. It's almost a, a mini boom that's happening here. Uh, it's very balanced. There's not a lot of multiple offers. There's not a lot of that stuff going on, but there's uh, there's a lot of steady, you put a good house on the market, it, it'll sit a couple weeks and then it'll sell. The average sales price, and this is weird, and I don't know how to explain it. The average sales price for the running 365 days is just over $276,000. That's up from last year, which I think was about 272. So it's it's up a little bit, but our current average price of what's on the market is 340,000. I don't know how to explain that. It's just, I think a lot of more people with half a million and up are trying to sell their houses right now. Or your market is uh, in the middle of a boom and you're, you're about, you're going to see it or notice it in about a year when you're looking back. It's a, it's definitely a combo of both. Like we, I mean, we've been running crazy for the last two and a half months here and everyone's kind of noticing it. So, um, you know, when a good piece of property hits the market, you got to be the first ones to see it or get your buyers out. Or, um, you know, what it's causing us to do is actually, we're not listing a bunch of our stuff on MLS right now because, we can just ex- list it exclusively and double end most of them, right? So it is, it's a mini boom. It's definitely not what it was in, you know, 2007 when everyone was on fire, but it's, uh, it's close. And the numbers, our prices are almost back to what they were in the boom times, right? So Lethbridge didn't take a huge dip where it went down 30%, like a lot of people or whatever it was. Um, but our prices have kind of dipped down to about maybe 1% below what they were at the boom. So that's kind of nice. Do you have a, a niche or a specialization in your market? Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I say I would say I have a couple, but that would go against the definition of what we're saying. But um, what I focused on, I guess, right off the bat, was uh, a technique of talking about uh, being an expert in foreclosures. Now, the funny thing is there isn't a lot of foreclosures in our community. I think at any given time we're looking at you know, there's 12 to 20 of them. I mean, there's not never a ton. We never had that SEO uh, stuff that the U.S. had. Um, but what it was doing was people would ask you about them. Oh, how do foreclosures work and what will banks take for them? And, and so it was able, if you were um, up on what was happening and how the process happened for foreclosures, people would come to you for advice and then they would tell a lot more people. Now the trick was we only had 12 of them and a lot of them were really bad. So the, the specialization was getting out there and telling people, Hey, here's the list of them. Here's how they work. Um, but if those don't work for you, Hey, look at the other, you know, 700 listings we have, what else can I find you? And that was, that was key was just building a kind of a following of people who didn't really care that you were special at anything, but you gave them really good, solid information. Um, and then they would trust you to take them to other houses that weren't foreclosed, but maybe a good deal or maybe perfect for their family. And then the other one that I would say I specialize in is we, uh, we take care of a lot of investment properties for clients. So, you know, that is a 
big range with Lethbridge because of the prices. You can help people buy condos that are really good deals, single family for rentals, single family for flipping. So I, I've been able to kind of blend those two together where foreclosures, people were looking for deals and usually it was because they wanted to invest it. And then you kind of work with investors and find other investors. So I'd say those are my two slash one niches out there. Now the investment properties, are you just doing the brokerage side or are you also doing property management? No, we don't do any property management. We probably should because of the, uh, <laughs> the amount that we help people with, but uh, we haven't been doing it currently. On the investment properties, are those for the general market or are you specializing around the university? We do have marketing campaigns that go out for the university because there's a, a ton of condos and they're, they're really well-priced um, and they're perfect for uh, kind of residency, I guess, while, children, or while kids come down for you know, five-year university. So we do specialize in that, but there's a lot of investors that will buy, you know, uh, multiple doors from us, you know, fourplexes, 16 doors, everything like that. So we don't, uh, the market's so small here being just 90,000 people, we can't just specialize that and just say, hey, we're only condos. But what will end up happening is we'll help someone buy two or three condos where they're cash flow positive, and then maybe we sell those three for them and we go help them buy a fourplex or, you know, something like that so they can get all their investments into one building. Well, Justin, what I'd like to do is I'd like to dive into some of the marketing areas that I'm aware of and talk about each. I know that you you have a couple of other little niches that you work in, other little techniques that you use to generate leads. One is Facebook campaigns. Could you tell me what you're doing with Facebook? Yeah, I I think this is where my career took off. And that's one of the, the things I saw was that no one was really doing anything uh, online. And it sounds crazy to say that out loud from 2010. I mean, there was a lot going on on the internet, obviously. Um, but a lot of realtors were just kind of ho-hum. Well, you know, I got my name in the newspaper. That'll, that'll give me business. So we were able to, I actually just literally Googled uh, how to do it one day. And if there's any takeaway that someone can get from these is there's no shortage of intelligent people. I mean, that's how I found you uh, two years ago or three years ago. I can't remember now and I signed up to listen to these calls because I just Googled it. I'm like, well, who are the smart people and who are the, who are the top producers and what are they doing? And it, you, know, it, it, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Um, and I found a guy named Josh Shingley. Uh, he's uh, really into the Facebook marketing and he's got really neat techniques and I kind of just went with what he was doing. And, and I mean, it was a... Uh, inexpensive for me at the beginning as I, it was a few dollars to figure out what his systems were. Uh, and Facebook was a huge one where we just pick, like I said, we picked foreclosures. Um, a big thing with investments in Lethbridge is suited homes. So we picked suited homes and we would generate lists of emails. And they're talking about thousands of emails where people hadn't seen this before. They, you know, they'd never had the opportunity to get what they exactly wanted. They'd have to call a realtor to a realtor here, come meet with me. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Where we would put those ads out on Facebook and say, "Hey, are you looking for university housing for your student?" And we would we would market not just to our town, but we would market to you know Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto, where we knew people would be coming in because our university is is uh, is pretty popular. So using Facebook, I can target market you know let's say Toronto for twenty dollars a day, and I can pick up hundreds of leads that people just wouldn't be looking for here. Um, so that was the, the, the biggest advantage was doing that, you know, and there's a funny story I tell everyone when I started, I was doing that and I was, uh, I was just 
full bore because I, like I said, I was only doing about whatever, 10 to 20 deals in those first two years. Um, and so I had time on my hands where I would literally do a video every day of all the new listings that came out. So I made a website called, I don't remember what it was called, but like just new listings in Lethbridge, right? And um, we would literally take a video of me reading the new listings to people. So people would have to sign up, give me their email, and every day I would email them all the new listings, but it was a personal link with a video of me explaining, hey, this is a nice one, this is this one. Um, and I ended up picking up, there was something like eight, 900 people had registered within the first week just to see it because no one had done it before, no other realtors in town, which was baffling to me. Um, so much so that I was reported to our real estate board because they figured, well, if he's getting 800, and I said it, I, that was the problem, as I said in the video, wow, thank you so much to all the subscribers. I think we're up to 800 now, and you know, I really appreciate it. Okay, here's your daily list of homes. And obviously a realtor had signed up for that. Uh, they told the real estate board. <laughs> I was called in. Hey, what are you doing? You can't, you can't tell everyone else's listings and you can't talk about them. And of course we can, like it's in our bylaws and, and uh, this, I will caution. I, I don't know everyone else's bylaws. I know what ours said. Um, so our board, of course, we're allowed to share listings. I mean, that's what the MLS was created for. But anyway, I was brought in and, 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 uh, kind of demonized over that because this young guy should not be getting 800 leads and he should not be doing, you know, eight deals, 20 deals, 40 deals. Right. Um, so it's kind of neat how fast it can balloon if you're the first one in doing it. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing. And, and that's what Josh's systems teach you is, uh, just keep going. You, you I mean, you could start today doing it and if you do it correctly, you'll make money and you, you know, you get leads by tomorrow if you really, um, just follow some systems. And so that's what we did. We didn't reinvent anything, to be honest. We just, uh, followed a, you know, step-by-step database and, and just did it. It sounds like what you did, if, if I can just paraphrase it, is that you created a list of properties or the opportunity to get a list of properties and you advertised that you could provide that list of properties for people that were very specific and niche down, uh, such as housing for university students. And then you would advertise that in mark your own market as well as other markets that you thought people would be relocating into your area. Yeah, that's exactly right. And when, when we talk about digging down in niches, that's why I said, like, I, it's hard for me to say I have one because I just, I would they'd come up with just hilarious, like, you know, one-off ones that you think you'd only get one or two leads from. Like, you know, Lethbridge Suited Homes is one of them. And you're going, who's looking for suited homes? And what's, what's the point? Or secondary suited homes? And that one's the biggest. I still, I run that one 24-7 because I still pick up people that are going, oh, I can live upstairs. I can rent out my basement. I can get, you know, 1000 a month. Um, so once you start diving into these little niches, people would just, like, eat it up and they've never seen it before. But, yeah, that was the thing is I had to literally brainstorm what is the list of homes that I want to do today and then I have to go find them myself and that was that was the toughest part was um, it, you know there was no way to look up oh is this a foreclosure I would have to literally look at all of the uh, the, the listings one by one and determine oh that, okay, that one's a court ordered sale okay that one's a foreclosure you know so it was a lot of work at the beginning but now once it's up and running it's, it's easy to maintain what is a suite of homes is that a duplex a two-family home yeah, sorry. In, in our area, we, we call them suited, where they do have an, like a, a legal or illegal basement suite in them, so a secondary kitchen, uh, secondary entrance. Uh, it, it's a big market here because of the university. So, you know, someone, let's say you buy a house for $250,000, uh, you get a, you know, and it doesn't have a suite. Well, if it's got four bedrooms, 
I can rent that in Lethbridge about uh, anywhere between $1,300 to $1,400. But if I put an extra kitchen in there, I got an extra entrance, extra washer and dryer, uh, and now I got two bedrooms up, two bedrooms down, I can get $1,000 per suite, or let's say $1,100 up, $900. So now I went from making $1,400 on my rental to $2,000. So it's, a, it, it's quite a big business here um, where people just needed more housing before there was a big, there's no huge condo systems here. There's no big like, you know, high rises. So that was a way for students to get housing essentially here. I think what we might call that down here is a, a mother-in-law apartment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> I talk about our bylaws, like we have been regulated by the Canadian Real Estate Association. You just can't say that anymore, uh, you know, because that would mean literally your mother-in-law would have to live there. Or, you know, if you called it a summer kitchen, literally you would have to use it only in the summer. So um, <laughs> they've really, they've, they, yeah, they handcuffed us a little. So now you just have to bite the bullet and say, this is a fully legal suite, which you can get the fire department to give you a certificate saying this is legal, it meets all the criteria, or it's an illegal suite, uh, which means the fire department doesn't uh, vouch for it and the city doesn't vouch for it so they could shut it down. So it does, you know, it, it does bring up that little bit of, oh, you know, bringing your expertise back out into it. And someone says, well, this one's illegal. What can I do about it? And if you know the answer, man, those people love you. And you go, well, let me, let me bring in my firefighter friend and, and, and we'll talk about it with him and see what we can do to change this place before you buy it. Um, but yeah, so it's neat how Canada tried to restrict us using vague terms and, uh, and that's okay. We just work around it. A couple more questions about these Facebook ads. I uh, really like your approach most of these Facebook ads, what makes them work or not is two parts, the picture and the headline. What type of picture were you using on these ads? Yeah, I was, uh, it's funny because I would just go to Google and I would just find, you know, stock photos of a, a rundown house or literally a sign that said foreclosure, let's say if we're doing that. And, and I would get people calling going, hey, where is that house in Lethbridge? And I go, no, no, I don't know. That's, that's just a stock photo. I just found it on the Internet. And that, that was the funny part is you can really do this for no time, no money. I mean, you can create it in Google Draw on, online in you know, 10 minutes. So it, it was about, you know, I, I have studied uh, neurolinguistic programming and, and a lot of, you know, um, the brain, how the brain works and, and going, well, okay, did red work today? Um, no, let's try yellow tomorrow. And it was just about testing. And once I found a formula of what font I liked, what colors and what kind of picture, I just stuck with it. And, and I rotate them in and out about four or five different ones. And I just rotate them as so, so people don't get bored of the same ad over and over again. Have you discovered that a certain font works better than others? From what I've tested, yeah, you just want to make it simple. I think the font is simple. Uh, I typically go with uh, black or red font. Uh, if I don't do a red font, I'll do like a red border around the picture, something like that, just so when you're scrolling through Facebook and an ad pops up and it says sponsored, a lot of people just see the word sponsored and they, they move on. But if you have a crisp white background and a red border, you know, it looks like important. It's like a stop sign or a yield sign or something like that. So it, it makes people's brains kind of go, well, let me stop and look at it really quickly. You know, even if it's unconscious, that's what's happening, right? On your Facebook ads, do you use a lot of text and explanation or a small amount? Oh, yeah, barely any. Um, <laughs> like, if you look at all of mine, and I'll send you some so you can post them, it'll just it'll say something like, uh, free list of foreclosures in Lethbridge, click here. And that's it. And so it couldn't be any more to the point. Um, and then on the website, it's even 
uh, just as simple. It literally says the same thing again, free list of foreclosures in Lethbridge, enter your first name, email, hit submit, and I'll send you the email, and that's it. So we don't get into a 10-page ad about how great we are and, you know, we're, we're the only ones that know about it because that comes later. That, and that's the key to the Facebook is you just want to hook them. You want them to, you know, see it and then come along and say, okay, well, I'll give you my email. That's fair. Then that's free. But then now you've got their email. That's the biggest tool, right? And now you can email them for the next two years, three years until they decide that they hate you and they unsubscribe. And that's, that's cool. That's, the, you know, that's the game. Um, and so many leads have come back where I've, you know, I've set them up on an auto email and, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten months will go by and they'll go, oh yeah, you've been emailing me for about a year now, um, we're ready to buy. So you're, you're staying top of mind because of something you did, you know, last December. So it's a really, really powerful tool once you get someone's email address. What type of drip campaign do you do after you get the email address? Yeah, I make it really... Um, kind of personal and fun. I, I'm never ever um, someone that's going like, hey, have you bought a house yet? Hey, are you ready to, you know, I don't, I want to get into any of those. I always ask uh, a simple question at the end of the email. So um, for example, the very first email that goes out, it says, hey, here's your, you know, hey, so-and-so, whatever their name is, they sign up with, it automatically puts their name in there. Um, and then it says, here's your free list of whatever. Um, Oh, and then it says at the end, you know, do you mind if I ask, are you buying this for primary residence or as an investment? Um, and you know what? I'll bet you 50% of the people reply, even if it's simply, oh, investment, oh, we're just looking, you know, things like that. But I find if they reply, now I can start a conversation. I can almost take them off the drip campaign because I go, oh, great, what kind of residence? Or, yeah, oh, great, I, I love helping investors, right? Um, so I always want to ask a simple question that, you know, elicits a quick reply. Um, so let's say they don't reply to that one. Maybe the next day they'll get a, an email from me saying, did you get that list okay? Uh, and the, you know, and that's, that's literally the whole email. Hey, I sent you that list of uh, foreclosures yesterday. Did you get it okay? Just hit reply and let me know. Usually people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Or, or they'll reply and say, no, they didn't because that's email marketing for you. Sometimes it goes to their spam. Um, but if they reply to you, you always know, okay, they've raised their hand, they are interested in talking to you, and that was the hardest thing I had to remember was when someone sends you a reply, that's, a, that's another human being, and you know, you'd get into where you're getting so many leads from this stuff, you would just, you know, they would hit reply, and then you would just leave it alone, and you're like, oh, okay, whatever, they got the list, but now I, I really focus on, okay, that person, you, you know, you and I might be, we get 1,000 emails a week, they might only get 10. So when you send them a question and they reply, they're waiting for you to reply back. So I really had to you know, work on that. And that was a personal thing where I was just had to stop being lazy and just saying, okay, even if they replied, yeah, I got the list, I would just reply with an automatic, you know, oh, great, thanks. Well, let me know if you need anything. And then they'd stay on the drip campaigns. The drip campaigns I've set up, though, they go literally for two years with automatic emails. And I sprinkle in weekly emails as well. How often are you sending out those automatic emails? Are they going out once a week? Yeah, typically, uh, you know, I think the, the, the calendar in my head, it always starts at day zero, which is when they signed up, and then it goes one, three, five, and then I leave them alone for about five days, and it goes 10, and then something like, yeah, 15, 22, and then it starts going like that. So it's about every, usually seven to 10 days, they get something. 
Um, but then usually I pick a day. So let's say if they sign, actually it's right in front of me here. On Mondays, I send out the suite at homes list and I resend it. So I don't, I don't like to automate that. I like to make a personal um, email and I say, hey, listen, uh, here's all the new suite at homes. I know you subscribe for this. Um, check out this one at 123 Fake Street. I think it's got some good potential. Right? And so every day I, it gives me something to do where I send out emails. And then those ones usually, it gives you a day to reply or anything like that. So it's, it's all about getting the system ready. But yeah, at least once a week they get touched and usually it's twice a week. How long have you been doing the Facebook campaigns and how many leads have you added into your system from the Facebook? It's been, oh geez, about four or five years now. So I pretty much got it started once I started to blow up a little bit. And um, I looked at my database and we're, we're at about 9,000 contacts. And I would say the, oh, that's, sorry, that's just the email contacts. There's about 9,000 emails in there with people unsubscribing and, and everything in there. So it's, it's pretty big considering that's about 10% of the population of our whole city. Have you tracked your ROI, how much you've spent on those ads versus how much has come back in? So we code everything because of the way the team works. We have to determine, did the buyer's agent bring in the buyer? Did I create the buyer? Did they come in from a phone call, sign call, whatever, right? So we, we pay differently depending on how the lead comes in. I'm sure a lot of people do that. So um, Facebook-wise, I mean, we probably spend, it's, it's gross, it's $25,000, $30,000 a year. Um, but I know last year probably about 75 of our deals were direct correlations from Facebook where they said, oh, yeah, well, we saw your ad on Facebook. So, you know, at, you know an average commission of about $5,000 in our area, we know that, okay, it's okay to spend $20,000 at 75 deals. Well, that's pretty good. I'm I'm trying to run the math in my head real fast on that, and I'm I'm coming up short. We got about three hundred and seventy-five thousand coming back in on a thirty thousand investment, about a, just over a ten to one. Yeah, yeah, right in that range. Yeah, that's great. That's just the Facebook, the buyer campaigns, right? Like those those literally. I mean, you'll pick up listings because your name is always out there. That's not advertising our listings on Facebook and our exclusive deals. Um, it's so hard to track that because every seller that we pick up, they get customized you know, Facebook campaigns, and I don't know where the buyer saw them, to be honest, half the time. So that's just us tracking, hey, these are buyers that entered our doors because of this Facebook ad. If somebody was listening and they wanted to start up a Facebook campaign similar to what you're doing, any last advice that you would have for them? It made us a little plug. I would just I would just Google Josh Shamley, or maybe you can put a link to him at the end here. Uh, he, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. He, you know, for minimal cost, he will start making you money. And you know, his promises are, you know, they sound crazy when you listen to it. You go, oh, there's no way it's going to work. And then you go, first day before you're done, you're picking up leads that are coming to your inbox. Um, so I think that's the best thing to do is just follow some of the, the, the people who have already paved the way. Um, I could talk about it for hours because of just how the tracking works and all that stuff. But I think if you follow a good leader who's built the system, uh, that's honestly your best way to go. Well, Justin, could you tell us uh, about another thing that you're doing? I understand that you're, you're getting some good Google rankings. What does that mean? What are you doing and what does that mean? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit of luck, I'll say that, and a little bit of... Um, Again, paying better people than us to do it. Um, so our website is called lethbridgerealestate.com. Um, you can't get any luckier than that. And the reason is, is my partner who owned this 
brokerage, and he used to own a Remax in town. Uh, the second the internet was invented, he went and bought the words LethbridgeRealEstate.com, and he's had it forever. Even when he owned Remax, he still ran it. Um, when he sold out of Remax, he started his company, and he called it LethbridgeRealEstate.com. Now I'm, I'm a partner with him. I bought into the company. But so there's just a little bit of luck there because when people, it, it doesn't matter what area you're in, if they type in Chicago real estate or Denver real estate um, and you own LifeBridgeRealEstate.com or whatever it is, you know, your Google rankings will automatically go up higher, right? Um, then what we've been doing is we obviously, we pay a web uh, developer to help us with SEO and I don't pretend to understand the intricacies of all of that either. I, uh, I let them do it. We pay them a fair wage and it, it seems to work. So when you type in, in our case, Lethbridge Realtor or Lethbridge Real Estate, we pop up to the top every time. Um, and it really, it does help that whenever we get a new listing, we bombard Facebook, we bombard YouTube, we take over, you know, we use Kijiji up here. I don't know, we don't use Craigslist as much. Um, but we're, every time we do it, we type in Lethbridge Real Estate and we use all those tags every time and it just helps. So if I have a seller and, and I tell them, hey, listen, type in, pretend you're a buyer, type in Lethbridge Real Estate North Side or South Side or whatever, and our website comes to the top with some of our listings, it really helps us in the listing presentation too, saying like, listen, we're, we're already ahead of your competition that you know we're up against. So you know, Google rankings are super important, I think, now where you know people I, I heard a cool stat that you know people buyers and sellers are researching realtors for six weeks in advance in Canada before they even contact a realtor so if that's true and they see my name or our company name 30 40 times because we're at the top well all all the better right sure now you mentioned YouTube well what are you doing with YouTube yeah I actually uh I'll have to send you a link to our page. I've done so many funny videos. Um, I just, again, so every time realtors go one way up a stream, I try to go the other way. And we were making, you know, funny, dumb videos about me running through houses or, or, or you know, I made a music video where I took my wife and my, my kid and we, we had a spaghetti dinner at a seller's house and we put it to music. And, you know, just little things like that to kind of generate the business. Um, I'm the first one that I've seen using a 360-degree camera. So, you know, I don't know if you've seen them on Facebook or, or anywhere where you can kind of look up with your phone, look down, and see every part of a place. We do that with our houses now. So it's me walking and talking, and I always tell people at the beginning, hey, listen, it's a 360 tour. You can move your phone and look at whatever you want. You can stare at my face. You can look at my hand, or you can actually look at the house. And so it's just a little bit of a presence of just – you know, getting out there and, and doing things a little differently, but it's just used as a, another marketing tool. We just tell our sellers, Hey, listen, you know, we're just going to try to get as many viewings on Google and YouTube as we can, because we know that'll get the buyers in the door. I understand you're also doing open houses and something you call builder groups. What's that? Yeah. So actually like it goes back to the Facebook, um, way back when I started a, a, a niche group called just new homes and all the list was, was any new home that a builder had, I would email out to people because a lot of people like new builds rather than old. And what it ended up doing was I ended up picking up about six different builders as selling clients over the years. And, um, so we would pick up a builder, they would do one or two, but now the, my my bread and butter, I guess one of my better clients, um, they do about 40 or 50 transactions a year with us as a builder. They're one of the best builders in, in Lethbridge as well. So when we do open houses, we try to really 
bomb the area. So if we're going to hit up a brand new community, we're going to do two or three open houses at the same time, get our people working the same area so they can send you know, potential clients to this house or that house or, or wherever they have to go. Um, for open houses, we really tried to go, again, different. Everyone would put up open house signs and it would just be littered on Saturdays and Sundays. And, you know, it'd be like, oh, here's a sign pointing this way and this way. What we ended up doing is we ordered just a ton, I think we ordered, I don't know, 30 or 40 big yellow and black signs and they're, they're hideous. And, and the story behind it is I was driving home one day and out of my corner of my eye, I saw this yellow and black sign pointed to the right saying estate sale this way. So I was like, oh, well, I'm into real estate. And so I'm like, boop, I pull over and I see it. And not two weeks later, I'm driving home again and the same sign is up. And my brain was automatically like, oh, I should go see that. And, I, and it took me like almost literally five seconds to realize I already went there. I did this two weeks ago. Like, what am I driving back over here for, right? So we ordered the same. We just said, okay, that, that worked on me and I'm, I'm in this industry. So we ordered, uh, yeah, 40 whatever black and white signs that say open house. Uh, there's a big arrow and then it says free list of area homes. So when we do it, we want to do an open house. We're not trying to just sell that house, it, you know, because how many times does a buyer walk into an open house and buy it? Rarely, like rarely at all, maybe 0%. <laughs> so we were like, well, let's give them another free list. I mean, that's how we've been doing it on Facebook and Kijiji and everything for so long. When they show up, instead of making them sign up for, you know, uh, free emails or anything like that, we say, hey, listen, uh, instead of you driving around waiting for open houses, do you want me to give you everything that's for sale in this community? And people would sign up for that list. So again, we'd have iPads there. They would sign up. We got their email. Boom. Now we can do the exact same thing, put them in drip campaigns and keep going. So that's what we do when we're talking about builders is it's just, it's so lucky that I have a good builder group where I have um, three currently that I represent where I can pick really nice inventory, have open houses because they're vacant and then pick up buyers to bring them wherever we have to go. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Justin, I'm listening to you, and a lot of the marketing that you've been doing is the simple idea of a free list of homes. It's been around for a long time. I'm sure people are listening, they have the question, that is, has that gone away? Has it diminished this idea of giving away a free list since buyers can go on the internet right now and do a search of whatever? There's so many sites that they can just search. Are they still attracted to the idea or the concept of a free list of homes? Yeah, I think that's... That's the key right there is if you just said to someone, hey, I'll give you a free list of any homes you want. I can put it into my um, my MLS system and email you automatically. That doesn't seem to interest people. It's when you pick up those little niches where no one is offering that. Like who who is sending out a list of university condos under $125,000? I mean, it, it, that is a rare thing to look for. So a buyer can, I guess, go on to MLS and figure it out that way. But this way, they just give me their email and it's in their inbox in a minute. So it has been working where um, people just, they, they like it. It's, it's easy. Uh, they don't have to do any work. Um, and we found that, you know, the public may be more educated now in real estate than they were. But I still think they're missing a lot. And, you know, we hear so many times where they say, 
oh, I didn't know that I could call you to help me see this house because that other realtor had a sign on it. So, yes, they're more educated, but I still think there's enough people out there who don't quite understand the whole process, especially new buyers and stuff like that. So it, it's just a really quick and easy way to capture an email address, even if they really, a lot of people say, oh, I'll take me off this list, I don't, I'm not really interested. Well, that's fine. You still have their email and you say, well, is it okay if I you know, talk to you about something else, right? Um, so it has been around a long time, but if you're being very generic about it, you're going to get generic results. And I think you have to really think outside the box and, and figure out, like I told you, suited homes or, or mother-in-law suites or whatever, they're really important in our community. And I was the first one and only one that still advertises, here's the list, here they are. And there's like about 40 of them for sale right now. So when people call around, they go, hey, you know, I saw you at a sweet house. How did you get it? And then my name comes up. So it is kind of neat that it started to um, snowball in that way. You mentioned the builder groups and you mentioned that that kind of sprung out of these Facebook ads for just new homes. I think that's really interesting. Could you tell us how that developed? Did you create the list of just new homes and then take that list to builders and say, hey, work with me? Or did the builders notice that you were creating that list and come talk to you? Yeah, it, it was a blend, and I'll tell you why. So I created that list. All I did is I went into my MLS system and I said, you know, uh, year type 2016 plus or whatever, right? So our, the way our MLS system works is I can define what year I want something. And I'm sure your guys are all the same. So when I built the list for the public, it was pretty much anything built in 2016, let's say, would be this year's uh, and up would be uh, what they get. So what would happen is I would end up with, you know, a thousand people on that list and, you know, I would end up helping most people buy a few builders, right? So I would get into the builder, sell their house, introduce myself to their sales manager, you know, things like that. And then that's where that business-to-business sales uh, background kind of came in because then I, I'm the only one that was bringing them deals, not the only one, but I was consistently bringing them buyers and they're going, where'd you get them? And I said, well, let me show you. And I, I run this website and I have, I have this list of other buyers and then you give them a listing presentation and when you have all this information in your listing presentation, you go, well, why don't we just work for you since you, you know, my other realtor, is, is, there's a great and everything, but you're the one finding me the buyers, so why don't I list with you? So it was a little bit of taking that list, getting some sales out of it, which is good for me, then turning around and showing the builders, hey, listen, uh, you know, is your current realtor working as hard as I am to try to find you buyers? Because that's all builders care about. They're they're in it for you know quick margins and and a lot of deals, right? So if you sell two or three of theirs a month, um, they're laughing and they love you and they're buying you gifts. So the next transition was okay, get in front of the sales manager. Once you get in front of him, get in front of the general manager. And and you, it was a process. I mean, you have to really work at it. But uh, I think that's the key takeaway is if you can prove to, you know, this works on a builder level, but imagine any seller and you walk in and the first thing you do is, hey, listen, I have uh, 7,000 emails or what, 200 emails. It doesn't matter. These are all buyers who signed up for houses in your price range. Um, you know, this is how I'm going to help sell your home. It's not going to be with fancy pictures or, or you know, or anything funny. I'm just going to work hard in the background and find you buyers. And I think that's why the builders uh, were kind of gravitating to me. And I had a few that just called me out of the blue saying, hey, listen, I know you've been working with this other big builder. Would you mind helping us with a couple as well? We only do two or three a year. Well, of course I'll take those. I mean, who would, who would turn down you know, two or three deals a year? So it was kind of neat to uh, watch it kind of balloon up from just trying to find buyers to working with really six really good builders over the years. Well, Justin... Another idea here is that you're, you're generating leads from something you call texting on signs. Tell us what that's all about. 
Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. You know, it says outside the house, text 1234 for more info on the house. We own uh, one of the companies in town here that does it. It's called Text to Look. And, you know, all we do is uh, put it in front of all of them. Now, you know, we have 70 listings right now or whatever, so we get a lot of them. But the key is the exact same as practically everything. You're going to laugh at me because it sounds so elementary, but just the same thing. You get a text on that sign. That person was doing what? They had to be in the neighborhood, so they were driving around the neighborhood that they maybe wanted to live in. So we've created a culture with our buyer's agencies. You know, they get paid on what they close. Um, that's obvious. Everyone, everyone knows that. So we have um, a text lead uh, system. So when someone, let's say, sends in a lead and they text, and they text about 123 Fake Street, we just send out, hey, text to look lead. And the first one that replies to that message gets it. So we don't want people taking leads if they're already in a meeting. Like, how can they call that person? That person's outside the house, right? So the first person or buyer's agent or me, I don't care, whoever, whoever answers first calls that person. If you don't get them, because, I mean, they're going to see your number call and they're all oh, crap. They got my number, right? So that's the way the system works. Actually, I should back up if anyone doesn't know. They text. They get all the information, three beds, two baths, $250,000. But what really happens is you're then sent their phone number, right? So now you got a phone number. You have to be proactive. You've got to make – this is the only phone call we demand of our guys. We don't, we don't do any other cold calling or anything like that. But when you get that text lead, they're in front of the house. And especially if it's a brand-new build and it's vacant, Lethbridge from end-to-end end is 15 minutes. I mean, you know, there's no reason that if you're not busy, you can't meet someone up in a brand-new community and try to sell them a half-million-dollar house. So we get our guys to call. They, uh, if they don't answer, we leave a quick voicemail. Not salesy, just saying, hey, listen, I, uh, the system's kind of finicky. I want to make sure you got all the info correctly. Uh, give me a call back. Here's my number. Then we'll send them the exact same text. Just again, we're not trying to be pushy. Um, if they don't reply to that, which a lot of people don't because you know, they, they realize you've you know, tricked them into giving you their number. Um, then on the third text, we'd send a funny text message. Or sorry, second text message, third contact. Just a funny one with a link from our MLS of the whole community and every house for sale. We say, hey, we're just going to try to save you some gas. Instead of you drive around the community, here's a link to all the, the, the houses for sale. Thanks. And usually by that time, if they don't apply, it's, it's a dead lead to us. We're, we're okay with that. But typically people laugh and go, okay, thanks. Yeah, I know we're just, we're the neighbors or we're just looking and, and at least you can again have a conversation with someone. And I think that's the whole key to this industry is this tech stuff is great. You still have to have a conversation. You still have to go out and show houses, right? I understand you're also doing radio ads. What are you doing with radio? Yeah, so the exact same opposite thing. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of real estate agents uh, they'll tell you on the radio we're the greatest, we're the number one, we're this. And that's fine, but I heard you know. So this is this is me listening as a as a sales and marketing person. I heard from so many people in the public. Oh, I'm tired of hearing real estate ads. We get it. You're the best. We get it, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's, that's a fine way to go. So we actually kind of did the opposite. Of course, that's, that's my mentality, is we started making fun of ourselves and, and those ads as well because we would run ads that sounded the same, but they would kind of make fun of that ad. And, and we would just end the radio ad with, again, hey, by the way, I'm just joking, uh, for a free list of suited homes, visit blah, blah, blah.com. And we would pick up buyer leads. So then I can track them from radio. Because right now, if you put out a radio ad, I honestly have no way of tracking what the ROI is unless someone specifically says to you, I only bought this house because of radio. And you know better than anyone. No one's going to say that. They're going to say, oh, I've just heard your name around town. So this way, I can see when my ad was played at exactly 202. 
you can look and, oh, geez, you know, uh, two hours later I had a lot of traffic to hit that website. And then I make the website specific to the radio ads. We'll run different ads at the same time, right? So if it's running on Facebook, I won't run it on the radio just so I can track everything. And then we just, we just have fun. We, just, we literally just tell jokes and we change up our ads uh, at least once a month where we're, that was another big complaint is it's stale. Um, the one person was running the same, literally the same ad for two years and it wasn't even relevant anymore, but they just didn't want to go and record. So that's all. Radio was just, it's a two-tiered system. We want to get that website out there. Um, you say your name. Luckily, my company name is my website, right? So it's Justin from LethbridgeRealEstate.com and boom, twofold, it's got them on the website. But then I give them free list of foreclosures, free list of whatever, um, I've got them two websites that hopefully they remember by the time they get home. So that's the only reason we use the radio. And you're sending them to a website as opposed to having them call in to say an IVR system. Yeah. Yeah. And you're tracking them by using different domain names. Yes, that's right. Interestingly, you're uh, generating buyer leads off the radio. A lot of agents generate seller leads off the radio. Have you also gone after the sellers on the radio? Yeah, we do. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I keep telling you the same ones over and over. I have so many different websites. Um, what we'll do is we will not talk about, uh, even though we were the number one team in town, we never talk about it. But what will happen is I will put out um, a radio ad, and uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but something like, uh, hey, everyone, it's Justin from LethbridgeRealEstate.com. The market is really doing well right now. If you were interested in what your house might sell for, visit yourhomesprice.ca, and that website will literally just give them uh, a way to find out approximately what their home is worth. And it gets a CMA. But again, they have to register. It's a physical CMA that we email to them. And it, it's a really broad one. But again, we've, we've, got, we've got their address, we've got their email, and we've sent them. And they must be interested in some way, right, of selling their home or maybe they're just looking to figure out what their house is worth. That's fine too. It only takes us a few minutes to do a CMA. But yeah, we have done that and that's been really successful. It was actually so successful we had to turn off the tap for a while because there was just no way to do all the CMAs in a day plus all the other stuff. So we, we run that one when we're kind of running low on listing inventory. Um, and uh, that's the nice thing about all these systems is if you get too busy, you just turn it off for a little bit. And that, I know that's going to sound crazy to people who are not doing a lot of deals, but sometimes you just you can't reply to all the emails, and then people start talking about you in a small town, especially, oh, well, I emailed him and he didn't get back to me. So you do have to kind of shut her down every once in a while. How many radio stations are you running on? Uh, just right now, four. And there's, I think there's eight or ten in Lethbridge. And I just picked, I literally went with demographics of who I wanted to. Um, if I'm going to run a Selling Your Home one, I'm not going to go to the, the, uh, the one that's you know, uh, dedicated to the 16 to 22-year-olds. Um, but if it's a first-time buyer thing, I will. I'll go to that direction. So it's all about knowing your market before you pick where you're going to put your money into how frequently do you run the ads? Uh, good question. They are not as much as a lot of people. I think, oh, geez, there's probably about 200 ads per month between the four of them. So it's, you know, one a day per station or two a day per station kind of thing. How do you select what time they're going to run? Do you let the station pick or do you pick a time? No, I, I gave up on trying to worry about that. I, I Again, I kind of lean back to they're the experts, and, and I hope they'll do me right. Um, I know that when you have a good relationship with 
these stations, they'll sometimes throw you some good air times. They'll sometimes give you extra spots when they need it. So I've tried to be, be a good client to them. So I can kind of, you know, they'll hook you up after a few years of paying them a lot of money. But uh, I haven't delved into, okay, I need to get the five o'clock times because they'll just charge you way too much. <laughs> it sounds like the ads are, are you, that you're talking in all of the ads. Is that correct? Yeah, that is right. We did that only because I, it's just the way that everyone's kind of doing it around here. Voiceovers don't tend to go as well in our community for whatever reason. And uh, I, I was like, well, I don't hate my own voice on the radio. It's, I think it sounds fine. And I got so many compliments and you know from people saying, oh, you've got a great radio voice. So I just said, well, to heck with it. Let's do it. Um, the only time I haven't read my own is literally in the last two weeks we had all of the buyer's agents read ads but pretend they were me because, again, that's the whole going against the grain thing. And so they, they would read it and say, hey, everyone, it's Justin from leftwardjoseday.com. And then they say, well, actually, it's, it's Nate, but uh, Justin thought you'd be tired of hearing his voice, so I'm going to read this ad. And so, again, you're just trying to have some fun in life. <laughs> I think that's my whole key. And, and those ads have been just blowing up where now the buyer's agents are getting a little recognition because they don't get their name on a sign. They don't get their name on MLS, but it gave them a nice little kind of incentive at the beginning of a of boom cycle here, but let's get their names out there too. You don't use any celebrity endorsers. You don't have any DJs make your ads. You are doing them yourself. Yeah, only because the other there is one person in town who people who is doing that and I just didn't want to copy that. You're using a lot of humor as well. Have you tracked your ROI on radio? How long have you been doing the radio ads and uh, what's your ROI? I have not tracked it as well. I'm trying as best I can. Uh, we've been running it just a, oh, it's about two years now, I would say. I know what I pay, and it's a lot of money per year. It's not actually, it's not bad. I think it's, let me think, probably about $20,000 a year. I have no way of tracking it uh, intelligently other than the radio ads, or sorry, with the radio times versus the traffic I see on the websites, but that's so arbitrary. And, and you know, so um, I just do it knowing the community well enough where I will get phone calls, emails, texts saying, hey, I heard you on the radio. That's funny. So it's tough. I'm just doing it literally to have some fun. Um, and I, it might just be burning money, but I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, well, that's good. That's At least advice, you're willing right? to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's bad advice. Don't take that advice. Burn money. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, well, it's good to know that you are or are not able to attract it. I assume that uh, you're getting a little bit of ancillary on that in that other the people around town are mentioning they've heard you on the radio. And I also assume that when you go in on a listing appointment, they may have heard you and that you're getting some type of positive feedback. And that's why you've continued to do it. Yeah, that, that's literally exactly why. Is it, It's in my last listing presentation, you know, saying, hey, listen, we do it. We don't, we don't try to talk about how good we are. And people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard you. Or, you know, or you'll get a call from someone. I, I've literally had phone calls where the first ad we ran was really funny, and, and maybe I'll send it to you guys. But it was, it was, it's only funny in context if you knew what the other realtors were running for years and years. And someone called me up and literally said, hey, you don't know me. I just heard your ad on the radio. He goes, I don't, I'm not buying a house. I don't have a house to sell. But he goes, whenever I do, I'm going to call you because that was the best ad ever. And so you hear those funny things. You're going, okay, well, good enough. I'll, I'll keep these running until people tell me they hate it. And, and then that's the, honestly, that's the key, I think, in my head. It's just keep your ear to the ground. Once it's time to change the ad, change it. And just, just be aware of yourself. 
Let's talk about your core lead generation method. If I understand correctly, about 70% of your business is coming from past clients, sphere of influence, repeat and referrals. Let's talk about that. Let's dive into that. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Yeah, I just pulled up my top producer while we were chatting here, and we have uh, just shy of 9,000 clients. Now, the reason is, I'll, I'll tell you that this isn't all mine. Um, my partner has been in the industry 40 years, and he's been a top producer for 40 years, and he, he helped train with Mike Ferry. And, you know, he, so he's, he's a top dog, and he's been one for a long time. So that database is kind of a, a merger of our, our, um, our clients, right? So having 9,000 in there is pretty hard to keep track of, but uh, that is how big it is right now. Let me clarify, 9,000 is the entire database. Is that all past clients? Uh, yes, it's very close. Or it's people who um, um, were really, really, really hot leads that we maybe not, have not cleared out yet. We typically don't put people in there who you know, don't close. Or if someone, I mean, you always fall out of love with clients and they fall out of love with you and that's fine. If, if someone you know, fires us or doesn't like us anymore, we just delete them. It's fine. Like, you know, life, life goes on. That also includes a lot of, uh, you know, when you're a real estate expert, you have a lot of contacts. So people go, hey, who do you know that can do a roof for this? So, it'll, you know, there'll be 10 roofers in there and 12 plumbers. And so the database is clients and people we need to run our business on a daily basis. Do you also have a, a database of sphere of influence or do you label those past clients your sphere of influence? We tag everyone differently and it sounds crazy so if you look at our system we know what it means you know there's justin's buyers justin's sphere of influence justin's current sellers you know things like that so we really delve into who we're tagging um but there are so many categories that it, it's hard to tell who's what and we we know because we've been doing it long enough i guess but um it's hard to explain i guess how we came with those numbers and names would you be able to go in the top producer and say Justin's sphere of influence and how many people would pop up? Yeah, I can do that right now. So, uh, oh, just kick me out there. So mine is 2,707, and then my partner's is 3,088, and then we have our buyer's agents have theirs in there as well. So that's just our clients that we know, friends, family, anyone that we can you know, lean on if we need a, a transaction eventually. And it sounds to me as though the 2,707 that you have under sphere of influence, many of your people may be tagged multiple times. So, for instance, they may be past clients and they may be in your sphere of influence group. Is that correct? It'll only count them as one contact, but yes, they are. So, I mean, we'll have someone that's, you know, bought a house for me. So, say, you know, Justin's old buyer, but, uh, you know, maybe tagged with this guy hates you, right? So, um, <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to add him in. So it, we know if it does say just sphere of influence, we know those people are people we can e email out and they won't block us. You built this database. Your partner has built it quite a bit as well. Of those 9,000 past clients, uh, how many of those do you think are your past clients? Um, I know uh, I know exactly. I've done 460 transactions myself in six years. So that's, that's all I have that are actually that. But I have a lot of other contacts, I guess, that are in mine. So, and I know his is much deeper. I mean, he's got... Uh, he's 40 years in the industry, so let me see if I can quickly give it to you an, an estimate here. But it's looking like, uh, oops, 
he's over something like three or four thousand sales. So his are legitimately, you know, he was doing 360 deals a year back in 1970, you know. Um, so he's uh, he's been around a long time. Let me ask a, another question for clarification. When you have the 221 closings last year, does that include the partner that's been in the business for 40 years? Yeah, he's on my team as well now. So he's uh, he's one of the listing specialists that we'll talk about, I guess, when we get into our team thing. Um, so, you know, he's been around so long, but I, I kind of came up with the idea of the team and everything like that. So we kind of count, I guess now, because we're, again, we're so new into this team thing, we just kind of married everything together. So even our, our buyer's agents, when they put something in there, it's still assigned to um, me as a contact as well. So, you know, one of our buyer's agents will tag them and say, hey, that's, that's part of the team now. Obviously, you know, that's, that's the way we want it to be. Then we're going to dive into the team in just a few minutes. Let's finish talking about your past clients and sphere of influence and your marketing to them. What does your annual marketing plan look like to your past clients and sphere of influence? Walk us through what happens over the course of a year, the calls, mails, emails. What are you doing to stay in front of them? Yeah, it, it's actually really simple. We, uh, in Top Producer, we can, it's called plans, and we, we, it, there's a plans manager. So we have um, a lot where, let's say someone uh, lists their home, there's a plan for how to list it and when you call them and everything. But we have a 10-year after the sale prospecting email and mail setup that goes out. So they will get an action plan with 10 years worth of emails, uh, scheduled phone calls, birthdays, uh, anniversary letters, you know, letters about uh, how to take care of your home in the spring, you know, so little things like that. We're trying to get it all down to just email um, only because it's just so much cheaper. Uh, we did a, an actual mail out the other day and I you know, almost had a heart attack looking at just the, uh, the postage that goes out. So the more we can get people down to emails and we ask them, hey, are you okay if we just send you an email this way? Uh, the more we can customize it for people too. But that, that is it. So in, in the first year, I have it right here, they get um, a thank you letter that is signed by the entire team. Um, that's an actual letter that goes out. They get a survey, which I think is very important, and the, the survey is emailed out. Uh, if they don't give us an email, it's uh, mailed out as well, and we, we always ask them to give us any advice. That, you know, it really helps with your um, listing presentation when you can walk in with a binder of a 1,000 people who have referred you and said, hey, he's done a great job for us. So they get those. The 30 days after, they, they're scheduled for a call, just a how's everything going call. I think 45 days, yeah, 45 days later, they get a testimonial email saying, hey, do you mind writing us a testimonial? So we really, in the first few days, we found that a lot of agents will kind of be like, yes, I got paid, and they forget that their clients are still alive and living there and, and ready to go. So we, in the first what is it, six months, it looks like there's about nine contacts, um, which seems like a lot considering they just bought a house. They don't probably need you for another few years, but it just solidifies that if they're, talking to their friends about that most important transaction and you've been in contact with them for five, six, seven months afterwards and they say, oh yeah, I just bought a house, who'd you buy it with? Hopefully our name comes up and that's the mentality behind that. Um, and then it goes on between anniversary letters, follow-up letters, uh, home energy checklist, home inventory, you know, that are that recommended provider. So we just, we've built it so it's 10 years worth of information going out to them and it's automated after that. It sounds like the frequency is is a maybe monthly or every six weeks. Sound about right? 
it starts off really uh, closer to that. And then I think when I'm looking at it here, they look like they spread out about 90 days. So probably quarterly they get touched. So probably four or five times a year after they're out. Yeah. You're trying to do most of it by email. You have a few pieces that go out by snail mail. Are you also making phone calls? Yeah, yeah. The uh, so that the anniversary plan will tell you. It'll it'll set you up a reminder in your uh, in your calendar saying, "Hey, this is a call" or "This is an email." So you still review uh, the letters and everything, and you click send. So it, it does say, hey, when you get to the office in the morning, here's what you need to do, uh, and that's important. So yeah, we still make phone calls because uh, it is a small town, and people do like to hear from you. But usually, we're trying to we're trying to avoid making cold calls to people, usually the phone calls are just to say, how's it going? Hope everything's well, just so you remember me. And, and that way, we never ever try to be salesy or, or say, hey, do you know anyone else thinking that you know, we've tried it and people seem to get turned off in our community anyway, so we've, we've walked away from that. So you're not asking for referrals directly, they're just happening because you're in front of them. I think so, yeah, that's what it feels like and a lot of people talk and you know, good or bad, and sometimes when you, 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 it comes around the grapevine that you've done something that someone didn't like, you can at least make that phone call and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know I dropped the ball on that and apologize. And that's really important in, in our industry is uh, you know, someone cannot like you, and we all know that happens. And that's the biggest thing that took me a long time was I was just like, I can't believe someone doesn't like me. <laughs> and it, it, it's going to happen so many times when you think about it. Uh, it's about mending that relationship later and saying, hey, listen, I know if you're not going to use me as a realtor anywhere, that's cool. I just want to let you know I like you as a human being, and I hope we can be good if we see each other in the, in the mall later, right? Um, so those phone calls, I think, are important just to keep it as a human. You're not just a transaction to them. You're, you know, they, you're a human, they're a human. Let's just talk on that level. Are you doing anything outside of this plan? For instance, do you have any client parties that you're putting on during the year? No, we, you know, I listen to your, your uh, radio and I, I just, I love the ideas that I always think, man, we could do things, and our Thanksgiving is different than yours, but we could do Thanksgiving pies. We'd go to Costco and buy them. And, and I just, we just never do because you just, you get too busy. So that's it, a fault of ours. Um, my partner used to throw huge shindigs that people from 1980 still talk about. And we're, we're, we're thinking of getting back into it, but it's no, we're not doing it yet. Do you have any advice for people listening who want to work with their past clients and sphere of influence at anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important? Not really. I I just think that making sure you have a system in place is the most important. And I've probably, and we've all probably lost people over the years where you see them list a house and going, well, I sold you that house. Why didn't you call me? So I think the the uh, paying attention to you know them as individuals is very important, and having a system in place up front, so you know your assistant can do it for you. I mean, I sign you know 50 birthday cards a week. I, I don't know who they're going to. She goes, hey, she drops on my desk, sign these, and then she's gonna put them in the mail. She knows when they're going out. So um, it's important that you just have something. Um, even if it's a small, it doesn't have to be top producer. It doesn't have to be a big CRM. It can just be something in your calendar where you say, oh, that's this guy's birthday. So yeah, just, just having systems in place. That's all I can say. Well, let's talk about the team. We've, we've mentioned the team a few times. First part of this is, could you describe the team? So we have uh, a listing specialist, which I told you that's my partner. So him and I take care of uh, pretty much well, 100% of the listings. Even if it's a buyer's agent brings us a listing, they literally drop it on our desk. We build the relationship. We do the listing. So uh, one listing specialist, where they just that's all we're focused on. Um, we have 
three buyer's agents. We had four, um, but we had to let one go. Uh, just no, no production and no hard feelings. Great guy. But, um, you know, to be on, I guess, our top producing team, we do want people who are uh, able to do a bare minimum. And we don't ask a lot, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Um, we had three buyer's agents. One's gone. One's in training. One buyer's manager. He's still a buyer's agent, but he's also in charge of um, getting leads out, following up with the leads, um, making sure that the guys are actually tracking what they're doing, getting their stuff in the top producer. Um, we have two full-time admin, so we have an office manager and then a admin assistant, and the admin assistant is essentially my assistant. She's essentially my assistant where I can just ask any task of her, and she uh, she takes care of pretty much everything for me. Like I said, um, sending out birthday cards, doing my files, doing my conveyancing, uh, all that good stuff. Um, we have one virtual assistant who... I will admit he is really just a guy that I use so he can do some tasks that I don't want to do, um, whether it's one of my rental properties. If I have a vacancy, he'll put the ads up for me. Um, he does a lot of uh, Facebook posting for me, Twitter posting, because I, I like all that stuff and I, I think it's really fun, but I don't always have time in the day to sit on Twitter and, and see what's important and what's happening out there. So he does a lot of that stuff for me. Um, and then I act as the, the team leader. I kind of uh, delegate the roles, I take care of the, the leads that come in and make sure they're going out correctly. And, and obviously, I generate the leads as well. You mentioned buyer agents and that you had some minimums. What are those minimums? Yeah, so it's really easy. <laughs> they only have to do one a month that they produce, so that one that they bring in. And, and that doesn't sound like it's that hard, or, you know, for some people it might be, but we're providing a ton of leads. And we, so because we have, uh, let's say, 70 listings right now, we divide up with the buyer's agent and say, hey, listen, here's your 15 uh, Kijiji ads, let's say. They're, they're listings, but any lead that comes in, we're going to count that as yours. So we're even, you know, they're, they're supposed to be bringing it into their sphere of influence or um, open houses or anything like that. But even if they pick one up for one of our ads, hey, we'll count that as yours. We don't care. We want you to be successful, right? Things that come in off of like a, a sign call or whatever, it comes to me obviously because our numbers are on it. Um, then I delegate those out and they get paid differently if they bring in the lead or if I hand them the lead as well. But yeah, 12, I, I don't think it's a hard task to hit, I don't believe. So that's 12 of their own personal transactions. They're closing other transactions on top of that from leads that you're handing off. Yes, that's right. How do you compensate a buyer's agent or a listing specialist? Could you describe to us what the compensation models are that you're using? Yeah, I can give it to you. I have no, uh, uh, no problems. I know a lot of people are worried about how they do things. It's not rocket science. We ended up doing a lot of law firms do what we're doing, and I kind of stole that model. So, again, I'm never reinventing the wheel. I'm just uh, adapting it. So we have a, a, a spreadsheet, I will say, that has different categories, and, and it's kind of what we talked about. So we have uh, a buyer where they get paid on, if uh, the team generated it, they get 30% of the lead. But what happens is the partners split up the rest. So Miles and myself, we're partners, we'll split up the rest, and then they get 30%, and then we put um, money into a pool as well. So on the buyer leads, you know, they're not making a killing if we hand them it, but at the same time, I'll say this, we pay for everything. They don't have one expense. There's no office expense. There's no um, real estate fees. There's no registration fees, nothing. So we pay for business cards, everything. So all they have to do is go out and earn money, and that's, that's what they get to take home at the end of the day. If they generate uh, a lead and that comes in, they get paid 40%. So it goes 30 to 40 
Also, if they hit bonuses, which you know, I told you the bonuses are pretty easy to get to, the first bonus structure is 12 to 17 deals. So if they generate 12 deals, I'll give them a plus 10 on anything they do. So instead of 30, they get 40. Instead of 40, they get 50. And if they do 18 or more deals, I give them another plus 10. So it goes from uh, 30, 40 to 50, and from 40, 50 to 60. So they can, by the end of the year, be making 60% on anything they generate, which is pretty generous on our part. But obviously, by that time, we've gotten what we need out of it as well. The plus 10 is happening on the business that you're handing them as well. They're going from 30, 40 to 50. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, they if they generated, let's just say they hit exactly 12 deals in the first quarter, well, then all of a sudden I go from paying them 30% to 40 on everything. So I'm never going to be sad about that either because, man, they, they crushed it for the first quarter, right? So we've made the money we needed to pay their fees, and that's where the whole algorithm kind of came in is, I need you to hit 12 so I can pay for you, <laughs> essentially, right? And then, yeah, if they hit 18 deals, let's say they hit 18 deals at five or six months, well, then all of a sudden they're getting 50% of everything that I even generate, which is, I, I, I know that's about the standard. A lot of people just say, I just pay my buyer's agent straight up 50, but we are paying for a lot of marketing recognition and, and there's no office hours here. We trust our guys. So you go, you come in, you work, I get you the leads. I just want to see the closings and, and that's, that's the way we kind of run it. So there's potential to make a lot of money when they're, when they're on the team. And the second part is we actually share the seller side as well. It's not as big, but uh, depending on their tier of how long they've been a buyer's agent and what their production is, they can make up to, I believe, up to 19% of every seller or that we, every listing that we sell. So to, like, let's say the top tier guy right now, he's making 9% on any listing I sell. So, I mean, that's a bonus. If we're doing um, you know, $600,000 in revenue, we're essentially giving him a $54,000 bonus just to be my buyer's agent, right? So we're, we're attracting top buyer's agents to us by giving them those bonuses. And if they bring us uh, a seller, then that's where we had them another 10. So it'd be from nine to 19%. Um, so there's, there's money to be made for them just because I'm working hard as well. And that, that's the incentive to keep my guys. I, I've seen so many teams where they build a really good buyer's agent and that buyer's agent leaves and becomes a good realtor on his own, which is great. I mean, that's what you want. You want them to do that, but I don't want to spend the time training anymore. So I want them to stay with me as long as they possibly can. I understand if your buyer agent brings you a seller that lists and sells, you'll pay that buyer agent a 10% commission, a referral fee, if you will. But I was a little confused about the other part where you said up to 19%, one of your guys is at 9%. How does that part work? Yeah. So let's say my buyer's manager right now, he's he's a top tier. He gets 9% of every listing we sell right now. So no matter what I sell, if I sell and I get a, um, here, I got one here. It's going to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not. It's just in front of me. It's a $30,000 commission. He made $2,790 on the listing side. So he had nothing to do with it. He didn't do any marketing. He didn't do, he maybe did the Kijiji ads and did a couple open houses for me. We'll pay him 9% of that listing. What's that, what that does is that keeps him with us, right? I mean, he, he knows if we pick up listings and we sell half a million in listings, he's going to make a good bonus for the whole year. Um, so the 9% is fixed for him. All year, he will get 9%, no more, no less. But if he hands me that lead, he gets 10% on just that lead, just that one house. So are the bonuses that you're talking about now, are they structured for your staff? You said your buyer, well, your buyer manager is a buyer agent as well, right? So he's 
handling his own volume, and then he's also managing the other three buyer agents. And for for that, you're paying him nine percent of the production. Exactly, and one of the other buyer. So the other buyers agents they'll make five percent of every transaction as well. So the other two guys are getting five percent no matter what of whatever we sell as well, and they have the exact same opportunity if they're mom wants to sell the house, then they get 15% instead of five. So I always give them a 10% bonus on top of that. It, it is, it's different. It's very complicated. I know it, 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 it's hard to even explain in some of our team meetings, and they've been doing it for two years or a year and a half now, where we're like, no, no, remember, you get 30 on this one and 40 on that one. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Because you'll get the paychecks come in and go on, uh, you know, oh, well, I, wasn't I supposed to get more on this one? Um, and that's one last thing I'll, I'll mention about it is we don't pay – Every time a deal closes, because when you have 220 transactions, you, you just go through checks like it's out of business. So approximately every two weeks, we just pool it all together, and then we keep spreadsheets, and then they get you know nine commissions on one check. So it's kind of nice that they don't have to get a check. Let's say they're getting uh, 30% of 5,000. Well, that's great, but why don't we wait till they get nine of them, and then boom, a good paycheck every two weeks. So it kind of gets them in a, a mode of uh, we're, we're always going to be taking care of you, you know. Right. <laughs> a little side note, I used to pay monthly. Uh, my people love that, but uh, it was easier for <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> so. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we, we were going to do every check, but geez, like, we're going checks are really expensive. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly that, right? Now we can, just, now we can cut six checks, you know, twice a, twice a month, away we go. Um, so, yeah. so Justin, I have a question about this. You've got, you've got all these little bonuses that you're handing out from the listing side to your team, but the team's kind of small. If the team were to grow, it sounds like you would end up eating up all your revenue on the listing side through bonuses. Yes. Yes, that is true. So <laughs> I have a plan in place for that. We, we do set aside, also we set aside 10% of every deal that goes into the fund that pays for admin and everything like that, right? But, uh, you know, I, I'm an owner in this brokerage as well. So the next step is this team is really functioning well. Not that we don't need more people, but we're really happy with the guys we have and the amount of workload they can take on and they're willing to work harder and I'm willing to show buyers. And so we have a really good energy in here. The next step is we're, we're going to bring in what's called done for you real estate. And it's something I kind of invented where we'll bring people to the brokerage because I'm a partner at the brokerage as well. Um, and that's one thing you have to kind of look at is, you know, I'm an owner in the brokerage and I run a team which is under the umbrella of a brokerage. So even though, you know, you have to pretend we're just a top agent at another big brokerage, right? So the done for you real estate is the next transition. And it's too much to talk about today, but where we're going to bring on other people where we will take a referral fee for doing all the work for them. They will generate leads. We'll help them generate leads. We'll do a lot of work for them. We'll make sure that their transition into real estate is a lot easier. So if we get people who go, you know, I want to be a part-timer, maybe we can pay them 60, 70% on the leads they bring in. We take 30, but we do a lot of the office work. You know, so it, it goes back to almost like a, you know, a broker who's, who doesn't actually sell real estate. So that's the next step for us is, is we don't really want to grow the team too, too much more, but we'd like to grow the brokerage more, I guess. Justin, you mentioned that your team is unique, different. The structure of your team sounds very familiar to me as, as to what other folks are doing. Uh, you've got some uniqueness in the compensation program. Is there anything else that's unique or different about your team that we're missing? 
No, and that, that, I think that's that's the key. Is we didn't we didn't reinvent the wheel. We just borrowed a lot of parts and we tried to make them better. And it was rocky to start. Obviously, when you get into it, you go, "How do I pay people? How do I make money? How do I generate anything?" But now with the seller splits and the buyer splits, we have a really good uh, synergy between everyone. So, um, no, I, I think that's that's the key to the team. Is it's just keeping a, a strong base of of good agents with you uh, and being willing to maybe not take as much profit yourself, uh, but keep good people so you can be profitable in the future. That leads right into my next question, and that is, are you profitable? Yeah, yeah, we, we did really good. So we kept, like I said, we kept uh, 10% just on the side to pay for a lot of what we pay for. I mean, uh, the advertising, everything like that, and the admin and everything. And so, um, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but we did just over a million dollars and our expenses were just over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Or sorry, there'd be one extra salary in there of 40,000. So about 140. So it was, yeah, it was, it was okay. It was a good year. <laughs> the hundred thousand is to, to run the office, uh, office staff, uh, rent and so forth. And then you have 900,000 in gross margin. You're splitting that among the agents, you and the partner, I assume that that you have some type of profit margin, uh, or are you just calling yourself producers? You only get paid on what you produce. It, it's very close to that. I mean, um, I'll be candid and doesn't hurt my feelings that, you know, I, when I say the hundred and I, I misspoke, it's 140 because there's an extra salary in there. Um, so uh, that's just for one extra admin, right? So you're looking at that covers radio, that covers Facebook, that covers marketing, that covers our agents, board fees, everything like that. So there's not a penny that came out of my pocket this year that I spent on other than buying clients lunch. And that just goes to my you know, accountant. So there's literally under a thousand dollars in, in my own expenses and we'll walk away both the partners just over $350,000 each. So, you know, it's a good year when you don't have to spend anything to do that between the partners. So the way I would look at that, you, you're in production and your net revenue as a as the owners of the business is seventy percent. You're taking home a seventy percent margin. At, that's pretty good. Yeah, it, that's what I was like. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember listening to your show, and I'm trying to figure out how the numbers work. And you you just said it perfectly. That's that's the way it is. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it was good. I mean, none of us are complaining. I took I took a personal pay cut to do that. Uh, but we talked about it earlier in the call. I'm fine with that. I. I feel better. Uh, I'm eating better. <laughs> I see my, my kids more. So <laughs> see it's the okay, kids. you know. Yeah, you know, you can you can do it, and I pay one assistant and do a hundred deals and never see anyone ever again, or take a you know, it's a big pay cut. I'm not gonna say it's a little, but take a pay cut, still make really, really, really good money for what we do for a living, um, and enjoy my life as well. Well, Justin, what drives you? The real answer's got to be money, but it, it, I I found out no, that's not true because I could make money and it wasn't making me happy. Uh, it's literally uh, my children. I have I have three beautiful boys, uh, great wife at home, and it, it, just coming up with no money in my life when growing up to being able to give them a decent life. Uh, it is important, but then once you have that money, is actually spending time with them while they're at their activities and while they're uh, having supper. So it is, you know, working hard, understanding the industry, trying to get better every day at it. And that's, that's really what keeps me going is I really do love the industry um, and, you know, getting to spend time with the, the people you actually care about in life. It's that old adage, how do children spell love? 
T-I-M-E. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is true. Well, Justin, why have you been so successful? Um, I think I have a, a weird tenacity to to be different. And, and sometimes it's a good thing. And we are in a, a slightly conservative town. And so sometimes being different doesn't work. Um, but I didn't care. I just said, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and, and it seems to pay off because you, you start to realize uh, you can't label a city by uh, politics or you can't label a city by religions or anything like that. People accept other people. And it's really a cool world once you realize, hey, I can have many different friends from different cultures, different backgrounds, and they'll accept you as who you are. So uh, it kind of keeps me going that I can be good at this industry. I can make meet good people everywhere um, and then uh, just go home and have a, have a good life. Justin, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would honestly tell them, you know, get onto Google and, and figure out what the top guys are doing. Um, and the budgets, you know, here's what I would tell them right away. First off, don't spend any money in, in paper. That would be my own personal newspapers. You know, we, we've spent money there and, and I feel like you can just flush your money away. And, and a lot of um, brokers that I've seen in my experience have said, oh, get your name on the newspaper and get your name out there. And, and that's not what you really want. You don't want to get your name out there as much as you want to get clients to you. And, and there's different ways to do it. So I think um, these calls, uh, you know, mastermind groups, anything you can think of, go talk, go take the top producer out for coffee in your town and just see what are they doing? I mean, are they hiring? Do they need help? You know, do they have any runoff? Whatever you can do, um, don't spend money on advertising you can't track. I think that's the most important thing. Well, Justin, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Yeah, I really do, and and that's coming from my heart. I, I listen to them. Uh, I told you before the call even started, uh, I listened to these for two years, and I've never heard your voice in a normal tone because I always listen to like three <laughs> times speed because I want to get through them as fast as I can. I mean, they're you know they're one hour, two hours. I just want to listen to them in 20, 30 minutes as I'm driving to my next meeting, and, and if I can get a good idea, then I want to write it down. And, and so that's that's the key to these things is, yeah, I love having this available because it's not going to be – the same in every market, and, and my Canadian uh, small town market is going to be way different than a big town Chicago. Or, and I, I'm aware of that, but taking some of the ideas and implementing them to where you know, I think that's the important part about these calls. Justin, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Not really. I, I just think I really appreciate you uh, you talking with me about this, and uh, you know, I I think that more people should do what you're doing. It's a it's a really cool thing, and that's what I I aim for. When a new realtor uh, comes in, uh, I love being able to help them in any way I can. So I think that's that's the key to our industry is. You know, working together. I know we're all quote unquote competitors, but we also have to work together every day. Um, and these calls and these these um, groups and everything like that are really important. So I, I think for everyone, if they have any takeaway from any of this, it's just get out there, find out who you can meet that that'll help you succeed. And I think no one that's a top producer will ever not take a minute of their data to help someone out. Well, Justin, thank you for taking a minute out of your day to help us out. Your career started slowly. Then you doubled your production every year by mastering Facebook lead generation and working extra long hours. You looked at your market, saw what the competition was doing, and chose a different path. Your use of humor in your ads set you apart. 
you hire the team to recapture some of your time and doubled your production again in one year. I have a feeling you're just getting started. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who ramped up his production despite the obstacles. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.